Welcome to the set of Good Morning Grace Chapel. Glad you're here. We've invited a handful of folks from the Grace Chapel family to talk with us a little bit about uh, faith and work, and in particular, talking about the dark side of faith and work. And we're going to see uh, what they're experiencing and how they uh, handle those challenges. So I'm going to just take a moment and ask them to just briefly introduce yourselves and uh, tell us what kind of work it is that you do. Good morning. My name is Andrea Dechianen. I've been in the software development information technology field for over 20 years now. Currently, aside from occasional face-to-face -face client meetings, I have the opportunity to work from home over 90% of the time. So dealing with a global workforce from very different time zones. And you also have a crew at home to care for, right? Yes. yes. Okay. Four children of varying stages in childhood. Okay, thanks. <laughs> uh, my name is Ben Yi. I'm a high school student at Lexington High School. I've been at high school for three years now, and my average day consists of schoolwork, homework, athletics, hanging out with friends, and the occasional Facebook procrastination. Okay, there we go. <laughs> Good morning. My name is Troy Stanfield. Uh, I work in finance. I'm a partner at a private equity firm. Basically, what that means, my job entails going out and finding interesting investments, uh, then actually negotiating, executing the transaction. When we own the companies, I'm on the board responsible for managing them and then, you know, hopefully one day selling them for a profit. My name is Helen Vetrano. I currently work at an ad agency. I've been in the field for around seven years now. I'm a manager of strategy and mar of marketing uh, analytics and I manage a team of about four people in a department of 80 strong and our, our objective really is to measure and optimize uh, marketing programs for a variety of brands that most of you probably engage with on a regular basis. Hi, uh, my name is Michael Kenny. I design and build uh, homes primarily in Concord uh, in Carlisle. Okay, so kind of a nice representation here. We've got uh, the IT world, we've got uh, student uh, finance, the corporate world, and then trades and small business. So kind of a nice cross-section of the kinds of work that many of us, many of you are involved with. So a few of us, a few of you, tell us what is the dark side of work for you? What are some of the challenges or frustrations or temptations you grapple with as you carry out your work from day to day? A few come to mind. Uh, one that sticks out right now is the challenge with time. Being able to work from home, um, there's a tendency to go on extremes. Either spend a whole day working on client projects, thereby neglecting home responsibilities, or I spend too many hours working on house chores or kids' activities delaying work until late when the work, the brain is less effective. Okay. Both also lead to less time with the Lord. Okay. So you've got mommy guilt and worker guilt exactly. both gone at the same time. Yes. Okay. All right. Someone else? Uh, I'd say the, the biggest you know, dark side challenge for me is just the pressure to perform. Uh, you know, when, we, when I work in finance, at the end of the day, someone's always checking to see are the companies that I'm in charge of up or down. And so it's a lot of pressure and people treat you differently based upon if you're winning or losing in their eyes as it relates to the company's performance. And the other thing is it's a very, very strong money-dominated culture and um, you know, nothing, nothing good happens when money becomes the priority. So that's also a challenge. Okay. 
my environment is also high pressure, high stakes as well. I, uh, I struggle personally with, with validation. And validation is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just that when it becomes your focus and other people's opinions of you uh, really dictate your sense of self-worth, that's when it becomes an unhealthy. Uh, so that's, that's normally a challenge I face on a regular basis in my uh, job environment. Okay. And especially to Helen as kind of, you know, in those early days in the workforce, that that need to prove yourself becomes very important. One of the things we haven't, we've talked a lot in this series about the fact that, uh, that work is valuable, that it's good, that God designed us for work, but we need to remember we are not human workers, we're human beings. Our value is not determined by our jobs, our title, what we do. We are who we are primarily, that's who God loves and desires, and there are a variety of ways we can add value to the world, but that's not a sense of our worth. It's a real challenge in today's workplace, okay? I think, um, as you can imagine, being a builder for the last six years or so, it's been a very challenging environment. Um, I kind of refer to it, uh, to an extent, the homeowner's revenge. I mean, after all these years to really have it at will, uh, people who want to work for, you know, virtually anything. I employ subcontractors and you're getting grinded on the owner's side in terms of money but I really strive and struggle sometimes to make sure that my subs can at least maintain a decent living uh, and a decent standard for themselves. It's difficult when you're getting pinched really from both sides, but that's an obligation. Uh, yeah, very practical reality. Uh, ben, how about uh, in the student world? Um, in the student world, there are a lot of, a lot of challenges. Uh, first of all, there's a lot of temptations out there. Just this week, I was talking to this kid I thought I knew pretty well, and he told me how he regularly steals things from the town center and how people he knew were stealing things like flat screen TVs and PS3s, however they do that. Um, and uh, so... It's tough to get a flat screen TV under your sweater. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Not that I would know. I mean, <laughs> uh, um, yeah, other temptations like cheating on tests and everything like that, like those things come up very often. Also, uh, the high school environment is really, really hostile to, towards your faith because people don't want to talk about being Christian. Like, if, you, if anyone brings up religion, it's either like joked at and shut down immediately or just met with silence. Whereas things that assail your faith, like um, statements that raises doubt, are very, very, like, spoken very often. People don't even think twice before they say things like that. And after a while, it really makes you start thinking about your faith and start questioning. Okay, so it, it, it's a, a tough environment, and probably that's true of a whole lot of environments here. All right, so let's talk about how do you get on the other side of that as Christ followers in the workplace? What are some things you've learned, some practices, some things that help you be true to your faith and your calling in the midst of that environment? Give us some practical ideas. To many, this is probably obvious, but uh, to me... I find that if I prioritize my Bible reading or prayer time, I accomplish more both for the family and my projects. And many times after Bible reading or prayer time, I find wisdom that I need for some home specific issues or I would know the answer to a work problem. Okay. So. And how, all right, you have two full-time jobs, basically. <laughs> how do you find, when, when's your time to be with God and the scriptures? So I have to do it first okay. in the morning because everything will be in a way, everything will be a distraction. I know what I need to accomplish in terms of work, and I know my routine in terms of um, 
the household. But if I do those other things first, then I forget that I okay. have to spend my time okay. with the Lord. Yes. All right, thanks. Some others are some things that have helped you. You know, the thing that's been uh, most helpful to me in my career has been my network of peers. You know, I have a, a group of men uh, who are also fathers and Christians who, you know, we've been together, you know, almost 20 years, our entire professional lives. And we don't go to the same church, we don't work in the same place, but we all do similar things and face similar pressures. And it's been a great network and resource to tap into, both when things are going well, we hate we help keep each other grounded, and when things aren't going well, we help pick each other up. And over the years, we've, we've done everything from, you know, reading books together, having our own Bible study, to just getting together and hanging out. You know, it's good to have a group of Christian men that can pray with you and understand what it is you're going through. One of, one of the ideas that we haven't had a chance to talk about, Tim Keller speaks about it in, uh, in his writing, is this idea of missional communities. In other words, in our various sectors of work, we find other Christ followers, and we become the church in that place. Now, you may go, as Troy said, to a variety of different churches, but when you're together in the financial world or the healthcare world or wherever it is or the neighborhood, you become the community of Christ in that place. You pray together, encourage each other, and serve together. So it's an intriguing idea to develop those kinds of communities. Anything else? Yeah, no, I agree that communities and networking is, is definitely key, uh, but also building off of that, your thought life and managing your thoughts also uh, uh, will you know, manage your, your healthy kind of attitude in, in the workplace. Uh, I am actually leaving my job. I have recently accepted a new position. I start in two weeks, and I had the opportunity to reflect. I'm like, what have I learned my my work experience the last three years at my company? I learned that peace is a choice. It's a combination of God's grace. If you ask God for peace, he'll give it to you. But it's also the other side of the story is self-discipline and accepting it and choosing to live in peace on a day-to-day -day basis. So it's, it's, hate to sound cliche, but it's taking every thought captive, and that means when you're faced with a problem in the day, and there's, you know, because they're going to come, they're inevitably going to come, especially in a client service firm, uh, it's, it's choosing to take a breath and pray and take a moment and realize that this is going to work, it's going to be okay, and just, you know, figure out the, the uh, success from there. The, okay. Yeah. So, so Andrew spoke about that the, the principle, the priority of time alone with God and his word, maybe at the beginning or the end of the day, you're talking about the added discipline of in the moment, stopping, reflecting, getting centered, praying as you head into a meeting or pick up the phone or whatever, okay? And for me, faith has been this wonderful evolution which supports me so much at work. Um, a couple of years ago, I completed a project for TD Bank in Brooklyn, New York, of all things, and I'd returned you know, back here, and I had a time frame of four or five months before my next project started, and I didn't have a clear path, you know, financially to the, to you know, getting to those jobs. And it was around Easter time, and I'll never forget. Um, uh, I was working on a piece of property that I owned over in Raleigh, by myself primarily. Uh, and I came home and saw the Passion of the Christ. It was such a striking moment for me. And from that point on, I decided that it was important for me to. Uh, exercise my faith to walk to the side of the cliff and say, okay, God, I'm going to keep on walking and you're going to um, pick me up. And it was a miraculous, I call it miraculous, uh, just a wonderful series of events, which led me in a very clear path, you know, to getting to the point where I needed to go. And up to that point, I had been hesitant to return God's love by doing that. And it was a wonderful, wonderful moment for me. 
So, so even those moments when you're in transition, when you're looking for work, when work is slow, there are opportunities there to bring that experience to the Lord as well and, and meet him there. Okay. Ben? Although it might seem obvious, I find that most help, one of the most helpful things is just to rely on Scripture because it just reassures you so much. Uh, specifically, Romans 12 2. That's, the, that's one passage I lean on very often. It reminds me that because I have Christ, I can overcome these temptations because I'm set apart from the world through Christ. And also, um, uh, Ecclesiastes is another one that really helps me out when I'm having issues with my priorities, prioritizing God over my other things. And also, as many of them have already said, having a nice Christian community around you, whether it's your Bible study group, your friends who are Christian, or like your high school, my high school ministry friends, like having them around can definitely reassure me when I'm having issues with my faith a lot of the time due to being around um, a lot of uh, doubts that's raised at school. Okay, great, great. Uh, my, my kids, my, our three sons went through public high schools and that whole challenging environment in middle schools, and I, I don't know what they would have done without their youth group friends, their small group, their leaders, the connections they made here once, twice, three times a week to sustain them to live for Christ in the school. So uh, let's talk a little bit about, um, in our series here, we've tried to say that you can be at work and on mission at the same time. What does that look like for you? How do you find you're able to be on mission in your working lives. Maybe an example or two. So my job environment is not exactly conducive to sharing one's faith. It can be a little bit difficult. I find that, well, I've been blessed with the opportunity to build relationships with both people of faith, of Christian faith, as well as many other faiths. And I, I learned that it was really through that process that of building relationships and trust with people and uh, you know, your actions speak louder than words in, in many cases. And when they inquire, hey, why? what's, you know, you seem different or you act differently. Um, and then having the opportunity to share faith from there. Um, so you find people are watching, even when maybe it seems like they're not. Okay. So an another example, um, you know, a couple of things, actually. One is, you know, first of all, it's how you prioritize your time. So, you know, people watch in, in my firm, people watch sort of how you spend your time. Are you working late? Are you leaving early? What are you doing? And so, you know, I've been very blessed with the opportunity to get more involved here at Grace of late. And, you know, that means there's some time commitments that I have to Grace. And they're on my calendar and everyone knows about it. So if it's a Monday and it's 4.30 and I'm heading for the door, you know, there's no question because, you know, that's where my priorities lie. And I, I think that even without me having to say anything, just the actions speak to how I prioritize things. And the second example I'll give is, much more subtle, just in terms of how you talk, how you respond to things. As you can imagine, sometimes in, in a financial world, there's not a ton of humility uh, around the table when you're talking about either success you're having in your investments or, or failures people are having in theirs. And I, I remember distinctly one time a little while back, we're sitting around the table and you know people are joking about a, a competitive firm that was struggling with a particular investment and the conversation shifted around to me and I just openly said, you know, there but for the grace of God go I because that could easily be us at some point struggling and I didn't think anything of it and let it go but I found it really funny that some months later, similar setup, similar situation, same type of conversation and lo and behold, one of my partners literally said the same thing and so I, uh, I laughed to myself and I said, okay, next time I'm going to quote some scripture and see how that goes. <laughs> I like this story. I have a similar story, but I'm going to talk about home. At home, um, 
it's very important for me and my husband to point our children to Christ. So we try our best to model love, God is love, and hope and faith in Christ too. We try to instill in them to do everything um, in their best abilities for the glory of God. We often tell and show them that if we seek first the kingdom of God, then all these things will be added unto us. Um, both my girls claim that they have accepted Christ as their savior when they were in kindergarten. Mm -hmm. So I guess it's working. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> and as we've said along the series, Raising children, rearing the next generation, pointing them towards Christ, that's work. That's daily work. Um, that's very much in keeping with how God's plan for this world, for creating and saving the world. So, uh, Michael, you had a story about uh, the Life Community Project you were involved with. Well, yeah, I, um, through the, our Bible study group, uh, about once a month we go up to this uh, incredible place. It's called Place of Promise up in Lowell. And there's this little woman, Beth, there who's one of the most extraordinary people you'll ever have the honor to meet. She uh, ministers to about 20 people uh, in houses that she's purchased in Lowell with, a, with her own private money. Um, and these people are the last stop. If they go through Beth, they're gonna go to jail for a long, long time. And it's truly incredible. So you kind of go up there and say, I'm gonna do these people a favor, bring them a meal, you know, pray with them. And you realize that suddenly how blessed you are to meet people like this and realize how fortunate we are. And um, as, you know, Beth struggles to make ends meet and what, and what have you, she has a leaky bathroom. So the tub, you know, goes through the ceiling and ends up, you know, leaking down onto the stove. And it's become my obsession to replace that leaky bathroom. So a couple of weeks ago, I said to uh, my plumber, you know, Great, you're going to get this next job, nice job for new bathrooms, what have you. But we have a stop to make up in Lowell uh, because no matter what it takes, I'm going to replace that bathroom. It's a talent that I've been blessed with, you know, by God and able to do things like that. And if we all, it's wonderful that we get together, you know, once a, a year and, and do volunteer work, what have you. But if we all took our individual talents, wherever they may lie, and just reached out to people who are, who are in need, not do a lot, but just an effort, something, you know, we could truly make a difference. And that's been a wonderful experience for me. Oh, good, very good, very good. Ben, did you get a chance? Um, a big part of a student's job is to interact with other kids. And at, at our schools, there are a lot of kids who don't believe in God. And the, 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 the image of the church that's being painted by media is really like, it's not really even close to what it actually is. So when kids, uh, my friends or just other kids ask me about my faith, I try to be as open as I can be and try to be honest and tell them what it's really about. For example, this one time I remember standing in a parking lot with a friend waiting to get picked up, and then out of the blue he just asked me, so um, you don't believe in evolution, right? So, and I just explained to him how Christianity is not all about proving that evolution is not true or even on the matter at all. And ra rather it's about uh, make, having a relationship with uh, Christ. So, um, yeah. That's, that's good. Yeah. And we, we've all been there, Ben. We've all been there. Well, can we thank our folks for their job here? Thanks for sharing with us this morning. We're going to let them go back to their seats.
Well, my guess is that whatever line of work you happen to be in, you could probably identify with some of the challenges, frustrations, and joys that uh, these folks have so honestly and practically shared with us. Uh, Because the simple truth is that work is hard. Even though we're called to it, even though we're made for it, even when we enjoy what we do, even when we're successful at it, even when we realize it is worthwhile, work is still just plain hard sometimes. And that sense of frustration, of disillusionment, was was captured very poignantly a long time ago by one of the most industrious workers the world has ever known, Solomon, king of Israel. His musings, his reflections on life and work are captured in a book of the Old Testament called Ecclesiastes. And and in that book, he reflects on the, the end result of all his work. Now, whether the book of Ecclesiastes was written specifically by Solomon or by someone else drawing upon his perspective, his experience, we're not quite certain. But Ecclesiastes is written from the perspective of a wise, powerful person who worked hard and well and made his mark on this world for good for the most part. But listen to what he says as he looks back on it all. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 17. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. For a person may do their work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not worked for it. What do people get for all their toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their work is pain and grief. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. Have you ever felt like that? Like your work is meaningless, like it's not adding up to something, like you're a rat on a wheel, always hurrying, running fast, but getting nowhere. You spend years in school working on a degree only to graduate and discover you can't find work in your chosen field. You and your team spend months working on a project only to have it scrapped by corporate before it ever even gets implemented. You you do your best to crunch the numbers and come up with a bid that's fair and honest only to lose the job to somebody else who intentionally lowballed it. You spend 20 hours working on a sermon and you wake up on Monday morning and realize you didn't say the one thing you really meant to say and it happens regularly. You go into law or medicine thinking that you're going you're gonna to be helping people and you end up spending most of your days filing forms and managing an office. You set aside your career for years, decades maybe, to raise your family. Then you begin to wonder what you might have accomplished if you had stayed in the workforce. You give your best years to a company only to be unceremoniously let go for someone uh, cheaper and a younger worker. For decades, you work hard and sock your money away for retirement, only to get there and discover you don't have enough for retirement. All of it is meaningless, Solomon says, a chasing after the wind. We all feel that way sometimes, and we always will, because because of this curse called sin. Our work has been corrupted by, by pride, greed, envy, Rivalry, fraud, waste, laziness, stupidity, and some right, sometimes flat-out wickedness. 
Our work has been spoiled by sin. And sin does what sin always does. It separates. It separates us from the God who made us. It separates us from one another, the people we work for and with. And it separates us from our true and best selves. And so our work, which was meant to draw us nearer to God, ends up driving a wedge between us and Him. There is a remedy. The remedy is to reconnect our work and God's work, to bring them together again. And Solomon, after venting for a while, stumbles onto that truth later on in chapter 2, verse 24. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? In a flash of insight, the writer remembers that life was meant to be lived in relationship with God. That the God who made us and loves us wants to be engaged with us in every dimension of life, including our work. So when we do that, when we invite God into our work, then our work begins to matter again. Not only because it puts food on the table and benefits society and advances the kingdom, but because it draws us nearer to the God who made us and loves us. I mean, isn't it true that one of the best ways to get to know someone is to work with them? There's something about rubbing shoulders in a day-to-day -day circumstance Something about cooperating with a person, strategizing with another person, pooling your talents and resources and knowledge to accomplish something together that, that draws you close, that forges a relationship. My brother is a retired New Jersey cop, and he'll still say that one of his best friends in the world is his old partner in crime fighting, Bob. They've both been retired for years. They live a thousand miles apart. But every time he talks about him, he always calls him my buddy Bob. That friendship was forged at work. Work creates a sense of trust and partnership when it's done well. That's why God gave us work. That's why he invited us into it. Gave us those two commissions. The first commission to join him in his creative work, flourishing the world. And the great commission to join him in his redemptive work, saving the world. It wasn't that he needed our help. God is perfectly capable of running the universe without my assistance. He invites our help. He asks us to help for the same reason you ask a five-year-old to help you make pancakes or rake the leaves. It's not so much about the help they're going to give you. <laughs> it's about the relationship you're going to build as you work together. But you are hoping that after some years of doing that, that they will reach a place where they can make pancakes and rake leaves, even on their own sometimes. <laughs> In a similar way, God invites us to work with Him, first of all, so that we might know Him and grow close to Him. And as we do, as we become more like His Son, Jesus Christ, we are, in fact, able then to actually help Him and do significant work for the kingdom. So that's our final conclusion here as we wrap up the series. Our work matters when it draws us nearer to God and His mission. Work is not meant to drive a wedge between us and God, but to draw us nearer to Him. Now, we heard about that from some of our panelists a few minutes ago. 
when they talked about their challenges and frustrations, what got them through is drawing near to God. That might be in the morning as they have devotions, as they pray through a tough situation or find wisdom in the Scripture. It might happen in the, in the press of a business day as they walk down the hall in preparation for a tough meeting. It might be Christian friends with whom they pray and, and, and talk and think together about their work. Their work is actually drawing them closer to God, and that's enabling them to be on mission with God. They worship on Sunday, drawing near to God, so they can work on Monday and draw others nearer to God. Because the nearer we get to God, the more effective we are in doing His work in the world. Solomon gets there as well as he continues to think. In chapter 3, he says, What does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on people. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of people, that every person may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. God does it so men will revere Him. See, this longing we have for significance, this desire for our work to matter, it comes from God. He designed us for this kind of work. Not just to work for ourselves or even for our world, but for Him and with Him. Not just to bring home a paycheck, but to, to help society flourish, to help the kingdom advance, to make His name great. And so when our work connects us to God and His purposes, then it becomes eternally significant satisfying and meaningful. Work matters when it draws us nearer to God and His work. Now, just a moment, we're going to commission and pray for folks in our congregation whose daily work is done in the realms of government, law enforcement, the justice system, the military, civil service, all those kinds of sectors of society. Now, those endeavors can sometimes seem very earthbound, very preoccupied with the dark side of human nature. And yet, Scripture is telling us that even in those dark and tough realms, there's opportunities for Christ followers to draw near to God and help others do that as well. Listen to these words from a Christian attorney named Jay. God is helping me see my vocation as part of my calling to bear His image and to repair a broken and fallen world. As a business transaction lawyer, I'm called to help people honor their promises, help people resolve conflicts, and help them realize the best of their dreams and aspirations. I'm called to use my position to foster healthy relationships in my office and to create a place where workers feel loved and cared for. My work is not secular, but rather an opportunity to bear God's image and live within the freedom of God's perfect design for me and this world. It sounds like Jay's work, which is done every day in a realm that is fraught with conflict and contention, actually becomes an opportunity for him to, to draw near to God himself and invite others into God's peace and harmony and justice. Is that true of your daily work? the best question we can ask as we finish up our series. Is your daily work drawing you nearer to God? And do you understand how your daily work is contributing to God's wider work in this world?
Those are two of the most important questions you can ask about your daily work. And I trust our series has helped you begin to think about some of those things. Last night at about uh, 10 o'clock or so, I pressed print on my computer, figuring I was done for the night. And before I headed downstairs, I realized I needed to pause again and, and pray. I had done my 20 hours getting ready for that sermon, done the best I could do. I've been doing it for a long time. I know how to do it. But if I step into this pulpit alone, if I do my work without God, it's just a lot of human effort. It may be instructional. It may be helpful. But it will never be eternally significant. It will never be transformative unless God and I work together. And as true as and obvious as that may seem for a preacher, it is just as true for you. Whatever your work may be, work matters, your work matters when it draws you nearer to God and His work in this world. So I sense we have a lot more to talk about on the faith work subject, so I'm sure we're going to come back to this topic again uh, sometime in the future. But before we leave it, I want to give you a few resources and next steps if this series has spoken or awakened a need or an interest in you in particular. Just a few ideas as we close. If you're looking for a good book on the subject, I would recommend Tim Keller's recent book, Every Good Endeavor. Uh, you can get it anywhere, uh, online or in a bookstore. It was a very helpful resource for all of us as we prepared this series, Every Good Endeavor. If you're looking for some Bible studies on this subject, see what the Scripture has to say, I'd refer you to Randy and Cheryl Kilgore's website, madetomatter.org. At that website, you'll find daily devotionals for working people, as well as group Bible studies and other helpful resources as well. Maybe you want to begin to connect with others in your sector, maybe from your congregation or from other churches, Christ followers in your line of work. Someone has to initiate why don't we pray together? Can we talk together before the day begins? Maybe you form a Bible study group, a missional community. Maybe it's time to find or be a mentor to someone in your line of work. Maybe you're a seasoned worker, a Christ follower, and you recognize an up-and-coming up person with talent and potential. You want to invest in them. Or maybe you admire someone who's further down the road than you. Someone has to take the initiative and say, can we talk a little bit about our work? And then finally, if this series has prompted you to say, you know what, I'd, I'd like to see our church do more in this area, we may want to do more in the days to come. So would you just shoot me an email, brian at grace.org. Let me know that you might like to be part of a little group that kind of thinks about how we might talk about faith and work some more in the days to come. Don't know what that might look like yet, but just looking for some names of those who might want to help. Well, it's been a great series. We want to appreciate all of your interests, our panelists, and the stories that people have shared with us. Most of all, most of all, we want to thank you. Thank you for being out there on mission, at work, every Monday. We want you to know that we pray for you, we value you, we want to encourage you, and do all we can as a congregation and as shepherds to help you be able to see your work matter for God. Well, at this time, we would like to uh, release our campuses to their particular congregations for the final commissioning prayer. And we will ask those of us here in the sanctuary and others in the courtyard as well, if you work in the fields of government, military, 
law enforcement, the legal system, or uh, civil service, would you please just stand where you are, sanctuary and courtyard right here, and uh, we're going to ask uh, Noel Zamat to come and uh, lead us in prayer here uh, this morning. Noel is uh, a Grace Chapel guy, a uh, retired colonel after 25 years in the Air Force. Noel now works in the private sector, but interfaces with uh, the military as well as he carries on his work. So uh, Noel will come and lead us in our commissioning prayer. Here we go. Please join me as we pray and say thanks. Lord, thank you for those who serve. Thank you for bringing into our lives, even when we don't always see them, those who choose the path of grace, the path of service, sacrifice, and duty on behalf of others. Lord, we know that their service may appear sometimes unseen, many times unknown. Yet we know these men and women chose a life not of reward to themselves, but of service to others. With great wisdom, they have chosen to use their talents, not for selfish gain, but on something far greater. These men and women represent the very best in all of us, because in your grace, with your love, and in your name, they choose a life of service. Lord, we ask you to bless the men and women of our government, our military, our diplomatic corps, the members of our police, fire, and rescue forces, those in the legal profession who seek justice for all, those whose tireless devotion ensures the development of safe and nurturing communities, those whose work, though not celebrated, enables the very fabric of our cities and towns to function, blossom, and prosper. Inspire those who continue to serve in private industry, in nonprofits, and in the many other roles where they place their talents in the service of others. We ask you to be in their hearts, to help them know that their efforts, their love, their dedication is not unknown to you. Give them the strength to persist in the pursuit of that which is noble and good. Provide them the wisdom they need to do your will. Instill in them the courage they will need when the cause is just, but the pain too great. Hold in your hand those who have sacrificed everything including their lives, in service to their fellow man. Instill in their minds, hearts, and souls the knowledge that they lead lives of example and meaning, that their sacrifices are not in vain, but rather love and grace made real through their actions. Remind them that selfless service for their fellow man brings them nearer to you and through your grace make their every contribution meaningful. Lord, you taught us to be servants to others, to love selflessly and to commit deeply. We ask you to provide your blessing as a rich reward for those who serve and inspire others in your name. May the hearts and souls of those who dedicate their life and labor to others grow closer to you and with your grace and in your glory, may they find meaning and peace and love in their lives. This we ask you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.